big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. Welcome to the Eastern Promise podcast, where, in the glorious aftermath of Cambridge Tech Week, the call to boost our region's STEM skills has already been answered by the Youth STEM Award. Based on the Norwich Research Park, the Youth STEM Award, that's STEM with an extra M for medicine, has been described accurately as the Duke of Edinburgh Award for the Sciences. It's overseen by the positive powerhouse that is Dr Samantha Fox. And following the recent announcement that she'd be leading the STEM Village at this year's Royal Norfolk show, there's no better time to revisit her interview from 2022. Our region's STEM skills are in very safe hands. So let's join co-founder and director of the Youth STEM Award CIC, Dr Samantha Fox. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to Eastern Promise Dr Samantha Fox from the Youth STEM Awards, who's been doing all sorts of fabulous work on the Norwich Research Park. Welcome to Eastern Promise. It's fair to say, I think, your presence here is by popular demand because lots of people put on a recent uh, LinkedIn piece that they wanted to hear from you. So it's great to have you here. Gosh, that's really nice to hear. And thank you so much for the invitation. It's lovely to be here and to, to finally meet you in person. Thank you very much. Do you want to just talk about how you sort of came to be associated with running the, the Youth STEM Awards and, and what sort of led you to that point? Sure. Well, actually, my background is a scientist. So I was a plant scientist working at the John Innes Centre, which is on Norwich Research Park. And I've worked there for over 20 years now, which means I obviously started when I was about 12 because <laughs> uh, I couldn't possibly <laughs> be old enough to work somewhere over 20 years. But I have. Um, so, yeah, my background is in science, in plant science. But during my time there and, I, you know, I had the most amazing career as a, as a scientist and I've traveled all over the world and met really great people and worked on really interesting projects, you know, uh, you know, that really will benefit us as human beings. Yeah. I've had this great career, but at the same time, I was really became aware that not everybody out there was being able to see that they could have that future and have that career in, in science. And my husband's actually, uh, he was a, a science teacher. He did his PhD at John Innes as well. And so he really knew about the education side of things and the challenges. Um, and at the time that we came up with the idea of the Eastern Maud, he was a head teacher at Flegg High School, uh, which is in a rural location in Norfolk. And, you know, he said to me, you really need to be doing something for girls in our region, particularly for girls, because they're, they're so bright and they have great potential, but they're not necessarily seeing what options are there for them and how to create that journey for themselves. So at the same time, I was really interested in doing outreach work for young people. So we sort of put our heads together and came up with um, an event which we ran at the John Innes Centre, and that was called Women of the Future. Yeah. And we did that in 2015. So I'm really proud of that. And John Innes now run that every year. And we have this fantastic 
cohort of a couple of hundred, maybe 250 girls that come from all over Norfolk to meet and interact with STEM professionals. But the problem is, and even before we ran that first event, we wondered, well, what's going to happen after that day? So it's such a buzz. It's such a buzz on that day. And it was so great. And we had all these incredible people, all these incredible women come meet and talk to the girls and interact with them and run workshops. And it was just a huge success. But I worried all that effort that we'd put into and other organizations do the same thing. There's a lot of outreach activities. But what happens after the event? How do the young people who took part go away and think about that, reflect on that, follow up on those connections and and refer to that when they come to apply to university, for example. Will they remember that experience? And so we looked around for something that maybe we could tie in with, which would raise the impact and that would turn a one day event into a year. And there was nothing out there. And we were really stunned, actually, that nothing seemed to exist like this. There was no framework. The Duke of Edinburgh's award is a hugely successful programme that's been running for over 60 years. And young people take part through their schools and develop sort of uh, social skills through volunteering and, and confidence, but mainly through outdoor activities. Well, there was nothing like that for STEM. And given that there's such a huge need for such a thing, and, and we have this STEM skill shortage, which is very well documented, we decided to basically come up with something. Yeah. So that's that's where it started. If, yeah. it, if it is doesn't exist, you create it. Exactly. That's a fantastic philosophy. You mentioned STEM, and now I, there are all sorts of permutations on STEM. STEM 1M, STEM 2Ms. What does <laughs> the E stand for? You know, and then you've got STEAM as well. So what's in a name? So STEM basically stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Maths, S-T-E-M. And those are the core STEM subjects. The STEAM with the extra A stands for arts and we use the extra M for medicine. But why do we use that acronym? Why do you hear it all the time? Well, for I guess for a number of reasons. It's, it, firstly, it's a handy shorthand and it gives it sort of encompasses a lot of interdisciplinary topics, careers, projects, I would say. And I mean, the arts, I think, are almost in every area of STEM. As a scientist studying plant development, it was a very creative job, actually, not just sitting on your own as a scientist, come out with ideas, problem solving, but also literally the beauty of science. And when we were making our, our 3D models and printing them out, we used, uh, a, a, we worked with a local artist, a potter, to build models and, yeah, and create um, a pub. Yeah, public engagement stand, and it, we did it for the Royal Society, and we took it to the Norwich uh, Science Festival. So a lot of sort of outreach work would involve arts, and sometimes it's explicit in the name, and sometimes it's not. We use the extra M for medicine because when we designed Youth STEM Award, we didn't want to exclude medicine, given that there's such a huge shortage of of people applying for jobs in the NHS, which is well documented. And also because we wanted young people to think about broadening their horizons. So a lot of bright young people, uh, and they're probably encouraged by their families in this, would say, oh, yes, I'd like to be a doctor. But actually, when they start, if they're given the opportunity to look into a broader range of careers, they might actually decide that 
better for them is something else in the in, in the medical field, uh, not just being a doctor. There's many, many other careers and jobs and opportunities available. You do one day sort of meet people, I think, and you think, how did you get here? Yeah. How did you get into this? I mean, it's, fasc- it's, it's brilliant, it's fascinating, but what life path led you led you to that place and it's always it's always fascinating to hear those stories now it's a perennial concern in this region skills and the recruitment retention training of young people and uh, across lots of sectors simply put people are retiring faster than they can be replaced by young people training in 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 those fields especially sectors that need stem skills what's your take what's your view of the stem picture uh, in the east of england Well, I think it's complex and it has multiple, there's multiple issues going on there. So for starters, there's a huge predicted increase in the number of jobs that will involve STEM and will require STEM in the future, particularly in the area of digital skills and technology. So it's a huge growth area. At the same time, we have a lack of diversity in many of those STEM areas, very well documented. So, for example, only around 10% of engineers are women and only around 17% are tech professionals. And uh, shockingly, uh, if you look at uh, academics who identify as black, it's 1.8%, I think. It's really bad. So we're missing out on a huge number of talented people and those people are missing out on the potential to have really interesting careers and tackle the huge challenges that face us today you know it's social mobility is an issue and and we have a you know we have some really quite deprived areas of norfolk so if those young people aren't having the opportunity to find out what, what is possible for them or not see that in their local fam- in their local environment or in their family members i'm really pleased to say that some of the activities and interventions that I've been involved with over the years really starting to have an impact now and it does take time so there are these interventions but it does take time Um, and I would give you an example when I was at at John Innes again I was involved in creating something we call the year 10 science camp which is basically like a work experience program but really structured and one of the girls that came on that came from a, a rural area in Norfolk and uh, family never, no one in her family had gone to university and uh, she wasn't from an affluent background. Now, this year, she is in the second year of her PhD at John Innocent Fantastic. and she recently wrote a case study about it. So that's just one example. So there are these bright young people out there and it's, it's about retaining their interest in STEM but also giving them opportunities. And we talk a lot about you hear a lot about inspira- inspiration and inspiring young people. And I think that's important, but we also need to support them and empower them and mm. give them the opportunities and walk them through what those journeys that you talked about could look like. And they're all unique, but there are some key elements that you can that you can provide, like having the opportunity to interact and meet scientists mm. or, or engineers. Talking about journeys, I mean, I was particularly struck when I was looking through the, the, the Youth STEM Awards and how they the, how they operate. And we'll sort of look at the various the various categories in a minute. But I was struck by the emphasis on each journey being unique. Yeah. So how do you make that work? Because I mean, that, that seems like the ideal way to do it, but it must, must make things sort of difficult to, from an organisational point of view. Or does it? It's actually super easy. 
And I, the, the uniqueness of the journey comes because how a young person, you know, attains and achieves a youth STEM award is basically they take they register to take part through their school or or at home, uh, and we have we have students taking part all over the world. So we started in Norfolk. Uh, in Norwich with our group of girls that took part in that first year from Women in the Future. And, and after that, we broadened out and take any gender, any young person from anywhere in the world. Um, so we have young people taking part in Dubai, in Pakistan, oh, wow. uh, in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they each do it in their own unique way. So the criteria is that we have these four strands, which you mentioned, and they just have to do a number of hours of activity and those activities have to relate to STEM in some way or another. And they have to be over and above the school curriculum, basically. It's really simple. So anything that they do, any activity they do that involves STEM that is not in their classroom or doing their homework can count towards an award. And so the young people, the beauty of it is that they follow their own interests. And following their own interests is absolutely key in retaining that interest and engagement with STEM in the long term, because it's about the topic that might interest them, like climate change yeah. or clean energy, mm. which involves STEM, but it's not just saying, okay, we're going to sit down and do some physics today. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to sit down and, and maybe watch a TV show about electric cars mm. and that can count and that has value. So we put a value on those things. Absolutely. So as a scientist, I, I was inspired as a young person by watching documentaries on TV by Professor Robert Winston. Yes, you know, and they, that the long term impact of that, you know, is something that you wouldn't. There's no other framework that would recognise that hour spent watching that documentary other than the Eastern world that I know of. That's that, that that's absolutely right. And, you know, when I publicise each episode on LinkedIn, I pull out a quote. And you've just given me the quote. That's that's that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so if we, we'll we'll just take a, a quick a quick look around uh, the various categories because you mentioned you mentioned those and, and the first one uh, inspiring the next generation, where candidates seek to inspire their peers or younger, uh, and I've paraphrased slightly to engage with and be inspired by STEM. Now we are lucky to have yourself and so many other great uh, STEM communicators in our region. Um, whether that's biology or technology, and I can think of a few off the top of my head, are great communicators born rather than made? Uh, and is this an endeavour to expose natural talent rather than train it? Or is that absolutely something you think you can do and, and, and need to do? I think that's a, that's a really great question. The Inspiring the Next Generation strand is really there to develop the confidence and the leadership skills of the young people who take part. Actually, it's about creating them as the role models. So, yes, we've got these brilliant um, TV presenters and, and some fantastic local people, many of whom are ambassadors for YSA. Uh, but actually, young people uh, look up to slightly older young people. Yeah. You know, we all... We all enjoy watching the TV programs and, and Professor Ben Garrod, for example, is one of our ambassadors. Mm -hmm. He's an absolutely amazing communicator. Um, but in terms of role models and getting the even younger children involved in STEM, the, the idea was that, you know, from that Women of the Future, that first conference where this, the idea came from, was that all the girls that came to that event 
they would be inspired by the role models that came, the, 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 the PhD students, the STEM professionals, but they'd go back to school and we wanted to encourage them to become the role models and kind of pay it down. Yeah. So we asked them to go back to school and give a talk, go back and give a talk to the younger year groups. So inspiring next generation is about communication, but it's also about developing that confidence and leadership skills. So they might be mentoring a sibling. They might be going and volunteering at girls' brigade or boys', boys brigade and doing a science experiment. So engaging the next, uh, um, sorry, in terms of communication skills, I absolutely believe it's something you can learn. Yeah. The key, the key thing is starting early. So the first time I remember standing up and giving a talk in front of a group of people, I was, I think, in my third year of undergrad. Right. Which is pretty late when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and as, as young people, um, I mean, I was so nervous, I couldn't hear the words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it, was, it was like they were coming out and I couldn't hear them. So I was, you know, I didn't do a great job and it took years of practice and training um, as a scientist, having to give talks at conferences and then eventually volunteering on public exhibits and stands and whatnot and doing schools work, that through practice and training and being coached by others, you can, you can develop those skills. So I think some people are naturally more extrovert, but we can all learn to be better communicators. And by encouraging young people to start working on those communication skills early on in life by helping out running the coding club, for example, rather than just participating in the coding club yeah. and standing at the front, they're going to just be building those skills and building the confidence. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a cascade of inspiration, isn't it? Um, sort of yeah. Start, starting with the scientists themselves and then sort of c cascading down through, through I don't know, absolutely. the age groups, generations and, and, and what have you. Um, engaging the public comes next and uh, communicating ideas, conversations to boost interest uh, and increase understanding in STEM, of STEM, in the wider population Obviously, we are at a point now in April of 2022 where, fingers crossed and, and with a fair wind, the pandemic is 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 slightly, uh, if not quite in the rearview mirror yet, not far off. Um, how has that affected interest in STEM? Has it kind of been sort of peaked with the vaccines and the rollout and, um, you know, clap for carers and, 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 and what have you, followed by, has, has that kind of peaked and, and gone down a bit as people sort of want to move on? How's that worked? I think you're absolutely right in that the interest in STEM, particularly in science and medicine and technology, absolutely has been increased by the pandemic is one of the few positive side effects of the pandemic. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we're, ha you know, we're all having conversations around the dinner table about vaccines and the names of the different vaccines yeah. and, you know, and, and the treatments uh, uh, and the modelling. You know, th there was a lot of mathematical modelling. So we all heard about, you know, how the, how the graph and we were sitting there watching, you know, in the briefings night after night into people's homes was science, basically. Yeah. Um, and so... That, I think, absolutely has given a boost to people's just general conversations about science and technology and normalising that, which is really great uh, for actually for those young people who would perhaps might not have had those conversations. I mean, yes, of course, it's very 
uh, it's all it's been very scary and, and huge you know huge negative impact on the young people but one thing we have found uh, in fact it was a survey by the British Science Council uh, showed that more young people were interested in a, in a scientific career as a result of COVID-19 uh, and I think more young people chosen to uh, pursue careers in the NHS because of COVID-19. So whether or not that will sustain, we'll have to wait and see. I hope it does. And as we come out of this dark time, um, I think that, you know, we'll hopefully not go backwards in those areas, but we'll have to wait and see. And I mean, it's 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 incredible when you think about the the scale of the achievement of science over that period. Yeah. To just turn it turn it around so fast and develop um, uh, vaccines with such speed, and you know that's the all tribute. To, and and uh, East of England gets get, got mentioned, I think, in in the comments oh, by Dr. Jenny Harris as all the work that had gone on in the East of England, which was absolutely uh, so proud, a, a pride filled moment, I think, for everybody. Oh, it was. And I think the thing is as well, it's not science just doesn't happen. You know, it's the people behind the science and those achievements and those innovations and working Mm. together to solve these really big problems. So it actually showed our, you know, perhaps our greatest um, kind of value and and resource in the UK could be said to be our scientists and engineers and and innovators. Mm. Uh, and we do lead the world in in this area, and and in Norfolk, in at Nerd Research Park and the and the University Hospital, you know, we have absolutely fantastic group of people that, you know, I know that immediately projects, you know, certain things were put on hold, and they immediately said, right, what can we do to help? How can we get things going? You know, that's it. I mean, like I say, it's fantastic, and we are so so proud to have sort of Norwich Research Park and you and everyone who works there. Uh, really, really sort of rose to the challenge, and not that there was any ever any doubt that you would. Uh, developing skills and knowledge is the third strand. Uh, aims to enhance learning at school or college and help prepare students for studying STEM subjects further in higher education, stepping beyond the confines of the national curriculum. Now, is the real power of STEM uh, as a, as a term, as a as a th- as a philosophy, uh, the way that it empowers changes to the culture? of education and learning rather than just those individual subjects behind each letter of the acronym. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I think it does come back to that interdisciplinary nature of STEM and thinking about projects and topics um, rather than just the subject itself. Mm. So it's making it accessible. It's making it interesting. Um, It's about breaking the stereotypes of who who is behind the lab coat, for example. But I think it's about changing the way that learning happens. So it's not just in the classroom um, and it, it happens in the home um, and it happens at the weekend. Um, it happens in the after school STEM club, mm. which is so, which is so important and most or and many schools run. But I think it's about this shouldn't just be on teachers. So their job is to le- teach those subjects, mm-hmm. and teachers don't do it because it's an easy career or a particularly well paid career. You know, they do it because they they ha- have a dedication and passion. It's a bit like working in the NHS. You know, it's it's challenging working conditions. So they do a great job under very difficult circumstances. So we all have a bit of a role to play here. And I think engaging families and getting family support is really key as well. Absolutely. I 
couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I run out of things to say when people sort of finish making a point and I have to, <laughs> what, 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 what word, what hyperbole am I going to use to, 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 to agree with you, to agree with you? Cause you know, there's uh, yourself and, and, and lots of other of the guests considerably brighter than I am. So it's, uh, it's, it's, no. it's hard, to, hard to find, um, hard to find, uh, to, uh, to find, uh, another word than I keep saying fantastic. Wait, That's what I always come to. Just... I want to pick up on something there because this this is something that I really think is so important. You've said, oh, you know, you're so much brighter than I am. And I think there's a stereotype there that all scientists have to be super brilliant, super geniuses. And right. it's not true. <laughs> and it's actually about following an interest and, you know, studying a particular subject. So you don't necessarily have to be a super bright person to be a scientist. And it's, you know, everyone can find, if they want to, something in STEM for them. Right. Um, the final part of the STEM Awards, shaping your future. Candidates must investigate yeah. the destinations to which studying STEM subjects could lead. Uh, given that science and technology is moving faster and faster, uh, and last year the BMA found that doctor shortages uh, in England have left NHS staffing 25 years behind uh, comparable European nations. I want to just ask about careers advice and whether young people are getting the right kind of di direction, careers advice to get them into STEM. I mean, everything you've been saying about, you know, it's there's, there's the stereotypes about, about scientists. Is it up to scratch, the careers advice that's been provided? Mm. Well, I think it's improving for sure. And actually, careers advisors now have to be qualified to a higher level to give that careers advice. Really? And schools are judged on the careers advice they give. So there's a greater emphasis now on, on careers advice within schools. And that is going to take time to have an impact and come, so for those changes to come through. But I think, again, it's not just about what happens in the classroom. And that employers here have a really important role to play. And I think this is absolutely key. And it goes back to that idea about the importance of giving young people opportunities. You know, really see what career options are out there or, or ideally talk and interact to people who are doing those roles and find out what, you know, just what potential for them is out there. So I think there's a real lack or there has been a real lack of really good quality work experience placement options, mm. work experience, you know, going into an organisation and really seeing what it's like and what that job would entail. There's a lot of emphasis on the Cambridge Norwich tech corridor yeah. and a lot of really exciting talk about the future of the region and more buildings being put up and really exciting uh, company, you know, attracting companies to be here. But we also need to not forget that you need people for those yeah. uh, people to work in those organisations. And we want to make sure that our local community, the local school children have those opportunities to get involved. So it's a pipeline for them. And so there really should be a more emphasis and more, more support from employers to provide those sort of opportunities and get their staff to maybe go into a school and give a talk, which I think happens quite a lot in, in certain sectors of society where schools have got perhaps a more affluent cohort where the parents are working instead yeah. they're usually quite good at going in and talking but maybe you need to go not just to the school that your children go to but maybe your other you know other schools in your local area and get involved as stem ambassadors that's a, that's a very good point actually because you you do tend to sort of stick to stick to what you know and a friendly crowd as it yeah were. talking about 
good role models for STEM students. How do you go about finding them and what makes a particularly good role model in your view? Well, we've got a fantastic number of who we call ambassadors for the Youth STEM Award. And these are people who are really great at communicating science. We've, you know, we've talked about the, the fantastic Professor Ben Garrard. We've got Mark Thompson, who's a local astronomer, and, and many other people who, who we work with as well. But And they're great at communicating science and being role models. But again, they're quite a few steps away from a young person. So I think it's about using the older children to be role models to the young children. So when you ask what makes a good role model, you need to say, what age is the child that you want to inspire or impact really yeah. so actually you as part of the stem award um the participants who are in their team you know 13 14 they're going into primary schools and helping deliver a lesson and they will be the role models so actually when when my husband told me this story and it really helped shape the way we run the STEM Award. And he said when he was a head teacher and he was interviewing uh, the girls for being a head girl in the school. And he said, well, what made you want to be a head girl? And they said, well, when I was in year seven, I just looked up to our head girl and I was, you know, I just wanted to be like her. So actually role models can be other young people as well yeah. as the superstar science communicators, you know. Yeah. And it also, I mean, you don't have to, as I said, you don't have to, be a scientist to be a role model. So uh, one of our amazing uh, ambassadors, Maddie Moat, and she's an absolutely fantastic communicator and role model about linking creativity and science and explaining technology. So she's a great role model. My daughter and I loved loved watching, loved watching Maddie Moat and, and the way she yeah. makes those topics interesting, engaging, but never never condescending. And, and and that is so important to do. Do parents, do you think, do parents need good STEM role models, even for just good parent STEM role models? Oh, gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? And, and you could ask, are parents good role models in themselves? And I think that links back to the importance of family. So actually, yeah, I, I really love it when if you if when I've done events and done um, hands on exhibits, for example, public exhibits and you get the whole family coming along. Yeah. And actually, mum and dad are really just as interested <laughs> in, the, in the activity as, yeah. the, as the younger as the child. And that's really lovely to see. And actually, it can be about building the you know confidence of parents as well. And sometimes they might not have done great in the science at school and not feel that it's for them they might have a perfectly good career in another field but just might not mm. feel like maths is for them for example and so therefore they haven't necessarily got the confidence to to um sort of speak about these topics with their children but you know it's exploring as a family and and this is something i'm going a bit off topic now but it's something i have that i really wish we had in our region and it's a hands-on kind of science museum science yes. center Yes. And I just feel like young people and families in our region miss out because it's such a long way to go to, for example, go to the Science Museum in London. Mm. You know, uh, they you know, that is such an incredible place to go. And it's such a long journey for a d in a day. And it's expensive on public transport to get there. So how many of our young people actually get to visit that? Not very many, no. I would guess. Not very many. And that's a shame. And I would love to see. We've got the Norwich Research Park. We've got all this incredible wind technology and lots of organisations growing grey. And I just wish we had. Uh, I'd love to see 
a hands-on science centre or science museum or, or the Eden Project of the East, for example, yeah, and all the plant absolutely. science that John Innes could be showcased with hands-on exhibits to to get you know to get engage the whole the whole of society, not just young people. And I think a lot of people get, do get excited about sort of like incubators and startup centres and things yeah. like that. Whereas, whereas I think that is is fantastic because I think you get, you're going to get me all over excited now because I think you think there's there's the, we're not short of land. We're definitely not short of land. No. Um, and there's plenty of capital out there for looking for, looking for a yeah. good home, uh, a proposition, a worthy proposition. And um, I think if you if you if you know roughly and you base it around things that have sort of I don't know the, the science of the East of England that's a very broad yeah. brush but you know I mean if you plant science you know what what exactly. child definitely my daughter wouldn't turn 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 her nose up an opportunity to get her hands dirty and and plunge them into earth and see what she can find yeah. uh, I'd scream and run a mile but she'd love it. But uh, yeah, that'd be fantastic if we get that going. Should, you heard it here first. We should start a campaign. Absolutely, this should be a campaign. Absolutely, and it, yeah. And um, it just links all the big challenges like climate change and energy and net zero. It could just be fantastic, couldn't it? And it would be great for the economy and for tourism. Mm. So and jobs. Absolutely. So it's a win-win. We just need the government to be listening or somebody put money in <laughs> to Abs- make this happen. Well, so absolutely. I'd happily get involved. <laughs> My experience is that. If you go to the government and tell them, like so the Department for uh, yeah. f- for uh, a Business, and we've got the Science Minister in our region now. Yeah. If we get, you go to the government and say this is our idea and this this is what we it will do for you, you'll get very interested people rather than going saying this is what we need, this is the amount of money we need. Rather, mm. you, you go and say this is what it's going to do for you, and this is what it's going to do for education and the STEM impact. subjects and the impact it will have. Then I think you get people interested very very quickly. Um. Now, I did recently do an interview with the screen sector and I had a sort of panel. And one of the things that came out of that is, yes, we got the Norwich University of the Arts and uh, City College Norwich and various places trying to train up people to look at screen arts and sort of behind the camera, behind the lens, the filmmaking techniques. But when film crews from, I don't know, Netflix or wherever the BBC come into the region, and they get jobs as runners and they say, oh, you're very impressive. We like you. Come with us and do work on this thing, work on that mm-hmm. thing. You know, great for them. Fantastic for them. It, it's sort of tempting away the natural talent and, and the sort of uh, the skills, the learned skills that we have without a ready replacement being being there. Does the same thing happen with medicine? I mean, not with film crews, I mean, but <laughs> with, um, you know, there's uh, no the casualty don't come in and take away all our doctors. But um it does the same happen with scientists as well, um, you know, and, and, and should we focus on a production line of, of talent rather than retention? Yes, I think we should focus on a production line of talent for sure. But I also think it's OK for for young people to go away and maybe hopefully they'll some of them will come back. And And there's, I guess, multiple issues there. One is we've got to concentrate on making the East a really vibrant and exciting place to come back to with mm-hmm. really great job opportunities so that's one thing and ultimately i think we also appeal to people from all over so we might lose a few people who some might choose to come back later on but we also appeal to a lot of people to a lot of people from not just the, around the uk but all over the world yeah. and the norwich research park is another great example where you know we have people there from 
all over and I've worked with people from Mexico, from Italy, from India. We have a lot of Chinese uh, scientists and students there as well. So we got to remember that, yes, people will go and there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, some of them might want to come back, but we also just have to, I think we just have to make, make the East, make it the, you know, make it really great so that people want to come here, whether you start out here and you come back or whether you're coming from somewhere else. I think people do, some people, not universally, but some people do need to get that bright lights, big city Absolutely. phase out of the system. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the quality of life offer here is as such. I mean, I interviewed David Parfrey, um, who, yeah. who you'll know, who is yeah. a huge driving force behind the Norwich mm. Research Park. And he's sort of so eloquent about those quality of life opportunities and how mm. the actual park, it's the research park itself can build on that and build those in sort of like a village square of learning was one yeah. of the things he was, he was talking yeah. to me about. Um, I think there's really exciting plans for the park um, as a hub um, there. And, and we, you know, I think it will, it has a great chance of being, you know, a really fantastic and appealing place to be. It's already, I think the, I think one of the best places in the UK for life sciences. Um, it really mm. is. It's right up there. Um, whether or not local people kind of really get that, I don't know. Um, and I think that we need to be more open. I mean, we we, we talked briefly about uh, what the government can do, this and that. Is there a risk? Is there a risk we spend too much time sort of fulminating over the need for sort of wider systemic change that we miss the opportunities locally and the levers we? pulling imaginary levers here but is there a, a pulling uh, overlook the levers for change we have in our hands and what do you think those levers are well we already talked about family mm -hmm. and i think the role of the family is a really important lever so again we you know things like norwich science festival is an absolutely fantastic event and i'm so glad that we now have that we've had that for the last few years that brings together all kinds of different fields relating to science and STEM from the research part, from all over, lots of other organisations as well, to come together and, and showcase that in a way that's accessible for everybody. So the levers we have are, are, are really fantastic organisations that are already here. We have really great young people and, and really, you know, teachers that are really, really care about their students. But I think sometimes the East can get left behind in the eyes of government. I mean, I'm not an expert on politics, but I don't see that we get the same investment and the same mm. focus from from central government that maybe some other areas do. And I think we need to be better at pitching ourselves ourselves as a region yeah. with potential and, and raising the profile of what we do here so well so that we can attract that investment mm. but you know i do think we need to keep looking at a wider level because the lack of diversity in stem careers is nothing new um so and the change has been quite glacial you know so we do need to keep looking for things that are going to make a difference so i hope that this youth stem award which has grown you know was born in norwich and grew across norfolk and now grew across the uk and wider field i really hope that you know, we can get more and more schools and, and young people in, and families involved in that to help give that framework to get involved in activities and be recognised for it. You're so right. And and, and you mentioned f families again, and, and I'm going to kind of 
circle back to that in a way and we've we've kind of already covered this but it was a a very interesting study from 2020 i read from the university of oregon uh, in the us it found that participation in the out-of-school stem activities and positive parental attitudes towards science were significant predictors of persistent stem interest now based on everything we've said so far that's you know that sounds fairly obvious uh, now, uh, conversely, decreases in STEM interests were associated with declines in, in science self-concept and perceived parental attitudes towards science. How do we address the parental aspect and encourage parents to be sort of more positive, more open about STEM careers? Because I'm, I'm conscious that a lot of parents may sort of close that off because they themselves know very little. And, and they're sort of mm. frightened about giving advice mm. uh, in that context. So the easiest thing is to shut the conversation mm. down, no matter what the mm. damage it does to, to the young person in, and their future. Yeah, or they're, or they're worried about getting it wrong, mm. you know. So there were multiple reasons why we founded this organisation. And one of them was to give the framework to the young person to get involved in those STEM activities and also give them a sort of reward by way. And by the way, they get a medal, a proper heavy metal (laughs) medal goes around, like an Olympic size medal around your neck and a certificate. And what we wanted to do in the first few years when we were sort of small enough to make this happen when it was on a local level, we had a ceremony and we'd invite not just the students that taken part or their teachers, but if they wanted their families to come, they could come along. And so we did that at UEA. And then the second year we did it in the forum. And that meant that the parents could cheer on, clap, as their student went up on stage to receive their medal. So it was really inspiring. But the parents could then understand what what their young person, well, their son or daughter was doing, why they were doing it and what the end kind of point was so when when they wanted to watch something on tv that was a bit different to perhaps what their normal watching might be so it might be more science documentary or whatever the parent would then understand why oh yeah you can use that towards your reward so it's it's giving a framework the problem is if you don't have those same conversations at home so a lot of the work that i've been involved in is trying to equal things out and give opportunities, bring opportunities in front of the young people because it isn't always easy or straightforward to change your family background. Mm. Um, And so encouraging them to show a bit of initiative and find activities. And there are so many now online. You know, another one of those uh, slight, you know, good outcomes of the pandemic actually is that so many activities that were previously hands-on say to your local area and now we're now transformed to be digital and yeah. open to everyone so it doesn't mm. matter where you are and so even in in Norfolk for example we have a problem literally of lack of accessibility meaning if you grow up in a small village in rural Norfolk and your parents don't have a car how are you going to get to the open day at the Norwich Science Festival mm. you know how are you going to get to visit you are literally cut off so yeah. You know, it's it can be really difficult. So for example, with the STEM Award, we've worked with different partners focusing on the challenges facing different groups and uh, UEA uh, sponsors schools, all schools in Norfolk to take part in the STEM Award who are located in less affluent or l- less advantaged areas. So there's zero cost to them. I mean, the STEM Award anyway is a social enterprise, so it's it, it's very it's not expensive for people to take take part. We just have to cover our costs. We've worked with 
the Wellcome Genome Campus in Cambridge, focusing on non-white ethnic minorities and showcasing ma mainly black scientists and STEM professionals through webinars and Q&A sessions mm. um, and worked with schools to empower young people. Actually, I think this question is really hard. Maybe I won't, <laughs> maybe I won't put it in after all. <laughs> it's really hard to give a, di a really quick answer. Sorry. But maybe I can just... Maybe I could just say that with Eastern World, we've worked with a number of different partners to, to address some of these specific barriers like socioeconomic background, like people from different ethnic backgrounds and using the levers that we have to try and tackle those barriers. And in, in, in some cases, it's about you. We've talked about role models today. Mm. Now, we've got to make sure that our role models reflect the diversity of young people. So it's no good having everybody the same. We need to find and seek out great role models, great people that are out there who, who come from different walks of life, have different color skin, have different um, orientations to make sure that there's someone out there that every single young person can find a role model that appeals to them and relates to them. That's, that is so important, and to find those role models and to find those. I mean, you mentioned uh, Professor Robert Winston. Lord Winston actually passed him in Westminster Tube Station. He was obviously on his way to the House of Lords. And funnily enough, I saw on YouTube, actually, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the American um, uh, astrophysicist, uh, talking about, obviously, his work, in, and he's, such, he's a very, mm. very gifted, very gifted science communicator, very much in demand. Um, to talk about his 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 field, so it it, it is the, those role models are out there. It's just encouraging them and and getting them to think of themselves that way. Absolutely, absolutely, and ra raising them up. So we we've got this thing that we do on Instagram called STEM profiles, and we've I've extended my network far and wide and <laughs> and reached out to people, and we we do a little piece on each person. We've had a fantastic group of people who and and they I think they really enjoy ha having a, a bit of a platform there and and doing something really positive to help help support and you know empower young people absolutely fantastic it, it is it, 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 it is difficult I mean and speaking as someone who um you know was the first and so far only member of my family um although I think my nephew's gonna gonna get there uh to go to university it is it is very very hard when you're nav trying to navigate that and i suspect in yeah. retrospect looking back it was even harder on my parents who hadn't got a clue uh what to advise no. me didn't know mm. the difference between a red brick uh yeah. you know uh, and um a yeah. former poly you're just going that's that's that was an achievement enough it, the study that we do mentioned from the university of oregon it, it, it questions how young people tend to get treated as a a homogenous entity or sort of certain categories are imposed like gender for example that don't address diversity properly and you've, you've talked a lot about diversity quite rightly uh and it calls for a, uh, the study calls for a more nuanced understanding of stem interest and why and how that varies across young people <laughs> communities of youth they call it and what could you just reflect on that and what your reaction actually my reaction is that i agree and it backs up another study that I've I've read, and it's about understanding what barriers face those different groups. And you can't just treat all young people the same, even if they do roughly fit into a certain category. And I think we've talked about family or science or social capital, and that is really important, and socioeconomic background. You know, these these are really important 
driving factors for, for, for outcomes for young people. So it's really about thinking, okay, these exist. We're not going to change these problems overnight. What opportunities can we create? How can we bring down the barriers? How can we make STEM more accessible? How can we appeal to young people from different backgrounds? So, and I think I think that's where the focus needs to be. We need to have understanding of what the barriers are and then specific interventions for those young people. Final question then. Um, what's the one thing that you would change about STEM learning in the east of England? Well, I would like that we could broaden the horizons of young people. And I would like that to be that so that young people see that STEM isn't elitist. And I would like them all to have the opportunity to take part in Youth STEM Award um, <laughs> so that they realise it's their choice and it's not closed off to them. So, yeah, that I would like all, I would like every school to be running Youth STEM Award and I would like a hands-on science centre. <laughs> Absolutely, well, that is brilliant, and 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 we're gonna I sh we are gonna come back to that. I, I I guarantee. Thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute joy to speak, and and thank you for your time. It's it's thank you. It's been it's been brilliant, and uh, quite right that so many people that wanted to hear from you. That was oh, a really good call. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank okay. you. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. You too. Thanks. It's been a huge pleasure to chat to Sam twice on the podcast now. And you can find out more about the Youth STEM Awards by going to YSAwards. That's all one word, ysawards.co.uk. And you can find out more about the STEM Village at this year's Norfolk Show by going to www.ruralnorfolkshow.co.uk forward slash events forward slash STEM with an extra M, STEM hyphen village you can find out more about eastern promise by visiting easternpromise.org.uk you can find out more about eastern promise by visiting easternpromise.org.uk